welcome to Expertise is Overrated, the podcast that takes the time to answer the questions you didn't know you don't want the answers to. I'm Sean. And I'm Vib, and neither of us has any clue what we're talking about. Before we get to the episode, let's award the much-vaunted Expertise is Overrated Tinfoil Award. Now, this week, there's a close call between the Emperor for just being an idiot not seeing the heresy coming, um, but we're going to give it to Sean for suggesting that Fulgrim is in fact a painting. Yeah, I one, I can't believe that I've lost to Mr. I'm a perfect being. Let me create 18 alpha males and then nothing will ever go wrong. But hey, there we are. We don't live in a fair world. But yeah, the assertion that uh, Fulgrim turned into a painting. Like, in my defense, I think that is what actually happens, but it's so patently ridiculous that the words came out of my mouth and sort of were stuck with that as the outcome. No. Well, equally, as, insofar as we, you know, we consider the Emperor being the, the Tinfall Award, at least we didn't really come out and say it. You, you definitely came out and said Fulgrim is a painting, which, although it might still be canon, it might have been retconned, I don't actually know. It's just daft. So it's, it's enjoy the hat. This just seems so unfair. Um, in some exciting news for expertise is overrated, though. We've had our first pieces of feedback. Uh, so this is feedback on episode one, which you will remember was our ranking of the top ten characters in the Dresden Files. Uh, we had some great discussion on on Reddit, didn't we? We did indeed. It was actually quite interesting. Um... Not being a very well-versed renter myself, it was cool to get some interaction there. <laughs> um, even though uh, our first sort of real comment was <laughs> patently wrong. Well, it was, it was pretty own. pretty fantastic. The first comment was, uh, obviously, Gary on the Paranet is the most powerful <laughs> yeah. character in the Dresden Files, which we both thought was was hilarious. But then, There is an argument uh, to be made there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But then uh, Moses the Red came in with a list of 10 characters, which, one, completely broke all the rules I at least had set for my list. I think you had basically set for your list as well, which was quite fun. Yeah, but which was, two, don't, don't put people that are more or less interchangeable <laughs> in different slots. It's just... Oh no, that wasn't my one. That was going to be my next complaint with his list. No, my one was, don't put people that haven't appeared in the text yet on the list. So yeah, putting the white god at one, I mean, <laughs> one, easy, easy way out, mate. Nice, difficult one you've given yourself there. But also, we haven't met the white god. And you, know, you could have just put Odin at the top for all you know. Uh, this is the thing, because if you're going to talk about the white god, it's only been mentioned in passing. You know, we have absolutely no frame of reference for any other major deity that might be found on Earth. No, exactly. An interesting thread recently about the, the Hindu gods who have, you know, have a bit of a say on, on things in the Dresden universe. So, no, it was cheating. Blatantly wrong, that list. <laughs> but thank Rubbish you for your comments. interaction. <laughs> yeah, Rubbish comments. The other interesting question that I think we had was from uh, Ellie, one of our early adopters, who asked where Shag Nasty, the, the skin skinwalker, was. And I have to say, having gone back and reread uh, the opening parts of uh, Turncoat, maybe maybe the skinwalker doesn't doesn't make it to the top ten list, but damn, it's close. He's, yeah, 
He's strong. He's strong. But I think, if I remember right, your argument against Alfred, for example, is that he's very situational. I think Shag Nasty is the same, right? He, like, if he's in a fight with you, yeah, you'll struggle. But that's about it, really. Yeah. I, I think, for, for me, a lot of it was the sort of the build-up around him. So you've got the chase scene through Chicago where Dresden knows he's being followed but can't quite work out why. Keeps trying to lose the tail and it just sort of builds the dread and builds the dread. And then he works out what it is. And then he realised that this, like the fact that he was getting more scared was making it more powerful. And then he talks about how no one will talk to you about a skinwalker because of how horrible and sort of naturally evil that they are. And then he talks to Morgan and Morgan talks about the fact that he had to nuke one to kill it and might not have even killed it and they like feed on magic and, and all of that. I don't, I don't know. I I think Ellie's point, and it was quite well made, was not necessarily that it's the most powerful, but it's one of the creepiest things we've seen. And I think I'd definitely give it that. But uh, yeah, it doesn't doesn't make the list. Bad comment. Ellie should be ashamed of herself. <laughs> well, I mean, let's not forget that uh, Shag Nasty gets, well, not quite taken down, but doesn't win against a bunch of wizards. And we decided that wizards are terrible. So it's true. All around true. dreadful comment. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for making it. <laughs> yeah. Keep, keep the feedback coming. Um, yeah. We've, One day, uh, maybe someone will prove us wrong, but I feel it's unlikely. I just don't think that's possible. Neither do I, actually. <laughs> right, shall we get to the actual <laughs> matter at hand? Talking about being it, <laughs> talking about it being impossible to prove us wrong. Watch us do it ourselves. Um, yeah, Absolutely. as promised, uh, this week we're uh, discussing who is the one true hero of George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire, uh, made famous by among other things, the HBO TV show Game of Thrones, which ended perfectly. Uh, and there's, we shall say no more on, on season eight in this episode. I was about to say, famous is not the right word, infamous more. Right. <laughs> but then I remembered, yes, season eight was great. Yeah. Season eight is flawless, and I will fight anyone who thinks otherwise. No, not flawless. but Foreshadowing. <laughs> um. Right, so there are obviously a whole number of, of characters that we could use to to discuss this, but I thought an interesting question that I wanted to ask you before we got started was, does the hero of A Song of Ice and Fire, and more broadly of, of media in general, need to be a point of view character? Do we need to be inside their head? Well, that's a really, that's, I think that's a key question. Uh, especially in works written like this, right? Because it's it's kind of unusual, in my opinion, to have these massive epic sagas that are told from different characters' point of views in quite the same way as it is here. Um, yeah. Especially because some of them you would look at, uh, I think I can sort of know where you're going with this, but you, you would mm. look at them and go, I don't think that that's the main character of this particular story arc. They're just the person that we're riding along with. Well, I, th- I think the really the the core one here is Rob Stark and his mother, Catelyn. I think you could make quite a strong case, and I, I I will do that. Rob Stark is the hero of a Clash of Kings. No, he's not the hero of the whole 
series because he he dies halfway through spoilers um, <laughs> and he dies badly but we, we we're never inside his head we see his victories his losses his triumphs his failures his grief his joy through the eyes of his mother yes quite um i mean first of all i guess dying in the song of ice and fire is not necessarily the end all <laughs> Perhaps. I, th- I think we can safely say rob dead. isn't coming back i think he's pretty dead well i mean they put his wolf's head off didn't they so who knows <laughs> he might come back as something even more insane um <laughs> but, but rob's an issue because you're quite right he is ostensibly the hero in clash of kings but i i think the reason that it's Catelyn's point of view is because she links the north and the south and in fact the veil right she she's traveled yes. Yes. All the way back, which I think makes sense in that respect. It links the story up a bit nicer. Sure. But does that make Catelyn one of the heroes? Mm, no. Um I don't <laughs> think I don't think being a point of view character is sufficient to be in consideration for being a hero. I think I don't I'm I and and I don't think it's necessary. I just think it's an interesting method of structuring. Because the other other obvious example is um, fan favorite Stannis Baratheon. <laughs> Stannis the Manis, yes, indeed. Stannis um, the Incel. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's 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 foresh- foreshadowing for later in this episode. I do not like Stannis Baratheon, um, and I think he is a villain, not a hero. Uh, but He's the I, hero he- that was promised. Shut up. Um, I, again, I I just don't know whether he he looms over a Game of Thrones. He's prominent as an antagonist, really, in Clash of Kings, and then he probably is one of the star hero characters of uh, Storm of Storm of Swords. So. And and not to, you know, the fact of the matter is that Ned has more or less proven that he is in fact the heir to the Seven Kingdoms and the Iron Throne. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that king equals hero. No. But it's a pretty big deal, and I, I think he should be respected accordingly. I think there's a case to be made that Stannis... You know, say, say that the whole story ends with him on the Iron Throne, and everyone else who's a point of view character, or anyone else in the books being dead or irrelevant. You know, good, good, good on Stannis. Okay, if you can ever pay back the Iron Bank, that is. <laughs> no, I think that, I think that's fair. I think I, I, I think that that probably does mean that you don't need to be a point of view character to be the hero, right? If, if, no, if absolutely. We, I don't. Think if we think that. Okay, cool. No, I just I just wanted to sort of frame the boundaries of the discussion. That that was all. I mean, cause... yeah, to, to not even get into the whole discussion of what being a hero actually is, but no, we're going to ignore that the because there's a, a whole bunch of narrative theory that one of us needs to pretend to read um, before we can answer that question. Um, you haven't read it yet? <laughs> no, I was busy re- rereading a Game of Thrones, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough maybe I should have done that um, but I think early on especially in the books um, you sort of think heroic characters or characters of great importance um, yeah like well, 
perhaps um, Drogo, Cal Drogo. <sighs> Never a point of view character. I don't remember him being in one anyway. No, he's not. Wouldn't have been in English, so... <laughs> That would have been, been, been so good. Can you imagine? It's a Dothraki chapter in there. Just a chapter in, completely in Dothraki. No. Um, well, to get to it, I vaguely pulled together a list of people that I thought could be the hero. Now, obviously, feel free to add to this, and, but I, I thought that might be a useful I just way to... Yeah, I just want to kind of maybe get into your head here. It's a scary place. Um, Don't worry, there's lots of room. <laughs> I figured. Um, I just wanted to maybe know from you, as in, what, what what were your criteria for this sort of list? Like, what did you think? Okay, so would classify someone as the hero of the saga. This bit. So, so there are some people who are on this list to discount. Right, so Stannis Baratheon is on this list, even though I don't think he's the hero, because I think if you don't talk about him, he's the notable absence. But I, that's that's why he's on there. Um, but I thought they had to be a protagonist of their own arc. Um, I thought that they had to be a person, not only a protagonist of their own arc, but a person about whom other characters in the story turn. Um, so. That's why sort of Brienne of Tarth doesn't make it on my list, even though she's probably morally the best character in the books. She doesn't make the list because her her character arc, so far as we've seen it, I would argue is pretty reactive to other characters. So far as we've seen it, which will be an interesting point. Um, sure, sure. And we are a little bit trying to guess the end game here as well, because it's not just the hero of the published books. We're trying to work out who the overall hero is, having not read uh, The Winds of Winter or A, a Dream of Spring and probably never going to. Oof, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I love being, I love being proved wrong, so prove me wrong, George. Um, but no, I, I, I just sort of started writing names down. So, so I've got, as, as possible contenders, not necessarily ones that I think could be a contender, I've got Ned Stark, Robert Baratheon, Daft. Daft. Stannis Baratheon. I'll take that. Rob Stark. Kind of daft because he's dead. Aegon Targaryen Blackfire, whoever he might be. Not an actual character, but okay. Arya and Sansa and John. Yeah, we can talk about them. Danny and Bran. Those are those can, are my. We can talk about Danny. I'm not sure why Bran's on the list. Go on. Those, those, those I'd say were were mine. Um, and you you've added a couple a few to that list. Well, you've so, you've missed the the most obvious. Um, yes, I, I did. Favorite, I did. Especially I'll, after the TV show. I'll, I'll concede that you wrote this character down, and I went shit. Yes. I mean, yes. <laughs> how how did you not include Samuel Tarly? Um, <laughs> no, I do think Sam should be considered, but the character that you missed off the list is Tyrion Lannister, and it's, it's frankly unforgivable. Yes, no, that's that's fair. I mean, he, by by some definitions and metrics, is arguably the main character of the story. And you know, like my figures, he's got more he's got more point of view chapters than anyone else. Um, okay, so it's it's hard to to say that he's not. It's an argument. 
And the entire storyline in Essos is going to revolve around him and Danny soon enough. So I think he's definitely in with a shot. Um, let's park Tyrion for now. Okay. Uh, not to mention, I guess, Tywin. But he, he also doesn't meet the still alive well, I, criteria. Um, yeah, I mean, Ned and Robert definitely aren't the heroes, but I wanted to talk about Ned in particular anyway. Um, yeah, which is absolutely fair. Um, and and uh, Ty- I, Tywin didn't make the list because he's a filthy war criminal. No, because Robert isn't. Only because he won the war. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, actually, I, 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 I think Robert has a pretty bad shout at being the hero of even his own story. It also um, means that you're not including Jamie in your list of heroes. Or do you I, not think he's a war criminal? I think Jamie. Is Jamie a war? He's just. He's a. He's a criminal. Um, yeah, I suppose the war <laughs> part is debatable, but he, he's just a, a flat-out murderer. Yes. Um, okay, and I guess the the last person on this list is uh, Davos Seaworth. Davos Seaworth, yeah. Um, my, if, if for no other reason, then I really like him. <laughs> <That's> a <character>. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Hades argument from episode one. You can't steal that. <laughs> I mean, I really like him, but he's not relevant. <laughs> uh, well, Hades, as I've said once before, by by far the best Greek god there is. Um, yeah, no, I think I think Davos is is cool, and and it, you know we've mentioned Stannis. He's the only point of view we get really um, of Stannis. So I, th- I think he, he we get we get Catelyn's point of view of Stannis, and actually, it's quite he, interesting. As yeah, a we do. We do. Um, I mean, from both of those, I think I'm really happy that we don't actually get Stannis' own point of view. Cause I see. I think Stannis' point of view would be fascinating. Yeah, but in a oh my oh my dear, like oh my god, this is a psychopath. Uh, do you think? Kind of I don't know. See, right. I didn't want to go to Stannis first. I wanted to talk about Ned. I know he gets Ned much first. maligned in the in the TV show. And so, uh, there's 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 a few things at play. I think. One, yes, the TV show didn't understand Stannis and told Stephen Delane to play him as a villain. When he's 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 not a villain, I don't think. Um, although he has villainous aspects to him, I I think that Stannis's problem in like in 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 the context of the story as a whole is that he has fucking terrible PR. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, are you saying the Lord of Light does not have good PR? No, I'm saying Stannis specifically has bad PR, right? Well, I think... but I mean, it's it's not unreasonable, though, is it? Because he's the he's the eldest brother of the guy who's king, and the guy who's king has got many sons. So it's like, you know, why why does he need a good PR? He can just do his own thing, li- living sort of in the knowledge he'd probably never have to be on the throne. Yeah, but his, until it... Ned comes in and ruins all of that. <laughs> Damn it, Ned. <laughs> But his whole his whole shtick is about the fact that no one ever loved him as a child. He's not he doesn't understand like laughter or anything like that. I I don't know. I think I think he's a terrifying character. I think Varys is you know there's no no creature more terrifying than a truly just man. I think that's correctly applied to Stannis. Catelyn says. Uh, in, in talking about him 
that he's notoriously without mercy. Um, so I do think, like, but I think the problem is all of these things could be assets. Being a truly just man could be an asset. Being the elder no, brother or, or the middle asset to Ned, wasn't it? Be, I, no, but it is right. I'm coming back to that, but it is um, being the middle brother of Robert, who created this sort of chivalric ideal. Robert is essentially Robin Hood of, of Westeros, ish. Um, in like leading his rebellion, there's all this mythology built up around Robert. Stannis holds Storm's End through the entirety of Robert's rebellion as a child. Sorry, can we just go back to you saying that Robert is the Robin Hood? Okay, uh, I, I was really struggling for. Maybe he's <laughs> oh, maybe yes, he's this, the, this Lord of a. Maybe he's Robert the Bruce. Maybe he's Robert the Bruce. He's. He, he he fights an insurgency and wins against a tyrant. Right. Yeah. Robert understood PR. Renly understands PR. Right? Renly grabs all of the mystique, all of the mythology that Rob was built up about Robert's rebellion and turns that into his clay his claim to power. I am Robert Reborn. That is Renly's claim to power. Um, that and I've got a ma- massive fucking army behind me. Get out of my way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With some of the best knights in all of Westeros. Exactly, exactly. Um, but Stannis does none of this. Stannis sits there on Dragonstone and grinds his teeth and complains that he didn't get what he was due. Right? It's, that's his problem. And that's also why he's not the hero. Uh, yeah, fair. But But being a truly just man, I think, is Ned Stark's greatest asset. And the way that the reason that I think that is you look at what happens to their families after they die and their and his um lands and his title and all of that after he dies. And you contrast him with Tywin Lannister. Right? What happens to the Westerlands and his and the Lannister family after Tywin dies? That it descends into anarchy, basically. It, complete, it is an shambles. Yeah. It's an absolute shambles. It completely dissolves. There's no personal loyalty from any of Tywin's vassals to him. It's or, or to his ideal is a better way of putting it. It's it's all lo- their loyalty is all derived from their <laughs> fear that, of Tywin. Is that entirely fair though? Because it'll always take a little while for things to even out, and I mean. The North wasn't exactly, you know, Ned dies and everything's sunny. No, no, that's absolutely... Rob died. That's absolutely true. Except look at what's happening now. The Mountain Clans are marching with Stannis to free fake Arya from the Boltons because she's Ned Stark's little girl. Um, Ned inspired phenomenal personal loyalty. Because he was a good man and a just yeah. man. The, the mountain clans are a really great argument because they, they made a very big deal of the fact that it's you know, for the Ned, right? It's Yeah, it's save um, the Ned's little girl. And Ned, yeah. Ned went to them, he sat by their fires, he drank their beer, all of that. He treated them but, as equals. You know, the Starks were betrayed by one of their vassals, whereas um, the Lannisters weren't, so... <laughs> no, that's very true. That is very, very true. Um... But that's, yeah, it's, it's a hard... I think it brings us to an interesting point. I, mean, I don't think anyone's ever been arguing 
time as the hero of the story, much like another um, main character that we've omitted from this list, uh, who I think will probably be rather more in villain territory rather than hero. Um, but if it's not Ned, it's not necessarily Rob, but we've also got Arya, Sansa, John, and Bran on this list. I don't know why Bran's on this, but there we are. Is there a case to be made that it's the Starks? They're the heroes of the Song as, as, as an institution. As a unit, yeah. It's, a, it's essentially a story about family told from multiple different points of view, virtually all of whom interact with a Stark at some point. I mean, so far, the only one who hasn't, I suppose, is Danny. But even she thinks about them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Fuck, and that's else, a really good point. Everyone else, you know, interacts at some point with a with a Stark. I, I, I think it's, you know, we'll, we'll get to it, but uh, I'll make a case for one Stark in particular, I think, who's probably the most influential. But, uh, you know, if we're going to say who's the hero of a song price, I think it is the Stark family. That's a really good point. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> no, it's it, it. No, it, not that the hero of a song of ice and fire is the Stark family. That's simplistic and idiotic. Um, but the, but <laughs> Occam's Razor, we call that in the biz. But but the, a song of ice and fire is fundamentally a story about family and families told from multiple perspectives and contrasting different ways of doing family and actually it's not a, it's not necessarily a thesis on political power although it sort of is but more than that it's a, a theory on how to be a good family yes exactly it's it's <sighs> it's what episode two of star wars could have been <laughs> wow but, but, they, but they really went for the thesis on politics there Song of Ice and Fire is literally I mean it's a song, right? And you sing songs about the great houses and yes. great families and great deeds done. And I yes. think it's the one that has overlap with every single character that we see in the series. You know, excluding some of the the prologue and epilogue and actually even in some of the epilogues <laughs> there, there are stark family members involved. So there you have it. Episode's over. Done. Finished it. <laughs> 20, 25 minutes. And you had all of this stuff lined up. Oh, I, had all, I had it all lined up. I was I was going to build build you up on John and then smash you down on John. I was going to yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. get angry about Sansa. Uh, no, I'm done. No, clearly not. Clearly not. Um, you can get angry about Sansa in a minute when I get to it. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that's... Um, so, so we, That's, we that would have this... been a much better point to make in about twenty minutes' time. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, it's the TLDR of this episode. <laughs> Halfway in. No, because um, it, it doesn't actually answer our question. Right? I guess no. what I've done here is narrow it down and go okay. for the soft option of saying it's a family. It is a family. Um, okay, so based on that discussion, I think we can probably discount Ned because he's done great things. He he's he looks like he's going to be the hero of the story if you're not paying close attention in Game of Thrones. And then he gets his head chopped off at the end of Game of Thrones. Ah, but you see, but I think that that exactly makes him one of the heroes. No, no. Because I think, he is I think, set up to fall. And no, I think, that's, I think that's brilliantly. right. I think that's right. But I don't think he's the hero. No. Right. I, I think that's, no, the, he, that's the, the distinction. The, you know, he does... 
I don't want to call them emotions because I'm not too familiar with the concept, but when I read A Game of Thrones, um, I was rooting for Ned and then, you know, was yes. shocked to see the end result. And then when I watched the TV show, I went through exactly the same. <laughs> I did it, and, and I did it the other way around. The Red Wedding, so. I did it the other way around. I, read, I watched... No, actually, I watched the first couple of episodes of Game of Thrones and then read the book before episode seven, episode eight, Baylor. Um And yeah, I... Uh, so I knew what was happening, and I still got to the that episode. And Ned's on the on the set stairs, and I was like, "Yeah, but he's going to get away, right? He's going to be fine. It's going to be <laughs> yeah, fine." Exactly. It's it's phenomenally well done, and Sean Bean gives a magnificent performance. Absolutely. To be fair, casting of the actor. yeah, yeah, the casting of Game of Thrones was was quite good. Oh, incredible! I mean, the whole TV show was incredible. Mm-hmm. And let's move Flawless. on from that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, like I said, I had exactly the same roller coaster emotions with, with the Red Wedding. Um, oh, yeah. And the best thing about the Red Ned Wedding. Because once you're like, oh, you know, the next best thing from what we can tell is Rob, right? He's yeah. to emulate his father in so many ways. He's up and winning, you know, he's the underdog, but he still manages to smash the Lannisters. And then, he wins all his wars. That. He defeats Jamie Lannister in battle. He gives Tywin the run around. Crown he, King in the North by his bannerman. I mean, Crown King in the North. Well, that's that's a political power play by the Great John. But um, you're 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 still right, right? Other people go along with it. The Great John definitely also a hero. <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely a lowercase hero. Uh, what an absolute legend! I um, think he's going to come back and uh, make the Lannisters pay for what they've done. Well, he's in captivity, isn't he? Is he or is he? Did he get away? I, I always forget. no. He's he's in he's in captivity at the. He, he killed a bunch of people, right? At, at the, the red yeah, Bay. and then I think, yeah, I think you're right. They sort of drag him away. He's he's in he's in chains at the twins. Um, Do we know that though. Yes, or, it's said in a dance with dragons. Barbary Dustin says to one of the phrase, "If you didn't hold the great John captive." Either Horsebane or Crowfood, I can't remember which one is with the phrase, would eat your entrails. Yeah, okay. So, so yeah, he's, he's ready to, <laughs> to strike. Exactly. He's great. Um, but no, it's definitely not Ned, because while his impact is felt throughout the story, it, it's, he, he's not present in enough of the story, I think. <laughs> He's in our hearts throughout. He's in our hearts throughout, and we will carry that torch for the rest of our lives. (laughs) Robert is the other person from that generation that it could be, but I'm only bringing him up to say it's clearly not Robert. Um, Robert is a terrible, terrible man who happens to be king. Um, If we ever do a villains episode, I think you could include him in that list as well. I think that's... yeah. Not not because he's an inherently evil man or, or whatever, but he, I don't know. I mean, he goes to war for all the wrong reasons, and then is an absolutely atrocious king. And you a know, terrible he, does, he doesn't do very well, does he? No. Although he goes to war for the right reasons. Is that the reason to to you know make sure that thousands of people die? It's because you're in love with a woman. Oh my god! A lot of people so, say, we are doing an episode on. Robert Baratheon <laughs> and his causes Belli against the Mad King because it's not that Rhaegar 
and Liana eloped. My fucking god. I mean, it 100% is. No, it's not. Aerys Targaryen literally calls for his execution. And John Aaron raises his banners in rebellion. John Aaron is the source of the rebellion. It's not Robert. Oh my god, you are so unbelievably misinformed. Um, but let's not get sidetracked. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you off of being an idiot in that in that episode. Sorry, I've just been driving my fingers into my eyes, so I can't read what I've got written here. <laughs> I'm so angry. You can't tell because I'm also tired. But my god, that's. You've bought the show's narrative, and it's wrong, and it's bad, and you should feel ashamed of yourself. Moving on. But the show's great. <laughs> Bugger. <laughs> the show is great and flawless, but <laughs> there is a single line out of place. <laughs> one, one slight detail. <laughs> yes. Anyway, 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 anyway. Other people that we can discount quickly, then. Stannis, villain, not a hero bad person, being framed to do atrocious things, massive hypocrite. Who else can we discount quickly? Aegon? The ultimate fake-out? Well, even if he turns out to be real, uh, he just shows up too late, doesn't he? He shows up too late. He's... You don't see anything of him, really. No, so he he's a perfect example of show-don't-tell being used to support the fact that he's fake. Because if Aegon were the hero of the story, we'd have been with him since Game of Thrones. And he's not. And we only know he's special because Varys tells us he's special while trying to convince Kavan that he's special. That's it. Yes. That's that's absolutely right. He's 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 the Mummer's Dragon from the House of the Undying. He's a black fire, and he's going to die atrociously in dragon fire, and it's going to be excellent. Yeah, and he, he, yeah. I feel George R. 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 Martin would have done it differently, right? He probably would have done a John the Fiddler type play. Um, as in have yes. Fagon sort of around. He'd have been around. We'd have heard of have him. Have as a character doing something. Yeah. John Con appears out of nowhere in Dance with Dragons. Yeah. Uh, it... Yeah, I think he, he, he is fake. I think his purpose will be to deliver Blackfire to its right flow as the Targaryens and that's yeah. the rest of this absolute nonsense that was the Blackfire Rebellion. And he's also probably going to get the welcome to Westeros that Danny wants and isn't going to get. Now that's interesting. Well, I mean, he's already in Westeros. Well, yeah, but he's been he's taken castles in the Stormlands. He's going to arrive in... My, my, my guess is he's going to arrive in King's Landing and take King's Landing from Cersei, and that's where Cersei will die, because she won't be an endgame villain. <laughs> now there's a bold claim. Uh, I just don't think that she will. I don't think it's. I don't think the Lannister conflict is rele- is endgame relevant. Yeah, but then but then we're interning heroes versus heroes territory, aren't we? Exactly, we are. We are. And, and, and it brings us, I guess, having discounted Aegon, to our sort of or as as uh, someone called him recently, which I really really enjoy, young Grift. Young Grift. Uh huh. As in as in grifting, as in a, a scheme. I thought that, I just thought it was excellent. That's terrible. But go on. All right. No, it's just I, I I I don't think he's I don't think he's the hero. I think it's really obvious that he's not, and I think he's being set up to be the reason that. Westeros doesn't get 
or King's Landing at least doesn't get a happy ending. So where do you want to go next? We've 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 thrown the the low hanging fruit away. <laughs> yeah, so I think we've narrowed it down to to Arya, Sansa, John, Bran in terms of the Starks. Yeah, so um, all of the Starks that are still alive and not infants. Yeah, so I guess just to <laughs> just to re- <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fair point actually because we're discounting Rickon at the moment, aren't we? Um, but yeah, he's a baby. <laughs> he, he might be the one who leads the forces of, of Winter through the wall just to smash everyone and, and secure the north. Who knows? It seems unlikely though. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I think we should wrap up perhaps the last because there's two names that we've mentioned. Well, you've mentioned Cersei, but I think we can all quite seriously not the hero. Please. Yes, if if you're listening to this and you think Cersei Lannister is a hero, get then help. please comment and we'll tell you. <laughs> oh, so also yeah, in- leave, leave a comment telling us why, <laughs> but then please get help. And then in excruciating detail, we will give you the help you need. Um, <laughs> but I, so I guess the obvious one is, is Tyrion. But let's park him because I, I feel he's more relevant with Danny and all that. Uh, yeah. Jamie, Jamie Lannister, you know he gets a not unreasonable number of POVs. You know more than yeah. more than Ned, <laughs> only two more, but still. Um, uh, he died. I didn't realize that. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't realized it either. Uh, and this is where the TV show is, is confused me a little because I, I, having not read the books in detail ever. for quite a while, <laughs> it, I, the, <laughs> ever, of course. <laughs> I'm just making this up as I go along, <laughs> um, but but this sort of the line of where the books got to and what doesn't actually happen in the books gets a bit blurred. But I seem to recall Jamie being uh, upset with Cersei. Yes, and then that's when he goes to the Riverlands. He's upset with Cersei. He goes to the Riverlands. Um, Cersei sends him a request for help. Yeah, Lot, lots away, of stuff. It? Lots of stuff happens, and then Cersei sends him a letter begging for help and to appear as her champion in a trial by combat, which he burns. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so so this is where Jamie, I think, is possibly in with a shot because it would be probably the most obvious redemption story, right? He starts off as an absolute prick. I I don't think. Yes, you're right. A redemption. There, there are, I have a few issues with this. One, Jamie Lannister threw a child out of a window and murdered yeah, you, his own family members. You need to do something in order to be able to redeem yourself, don't you? You need to do something in order to be able to redeem I mean, yourself. Ned Stark is never going to redeem himself because he's never done anything wrong. No, Ned Stark is dealing with other demons. But my point Except is... a bastard son, of course. Uh, wow. Um, my point is, with Jamie, like, there are some things you don't get redemption for. You can be on a, on a redemption arc and end up as less of a shitty human being than you were at the start of Game of Thrones, right? But Jamie Lannister is never going to be able to take the stain off his soul that was murdering Cleos Frey, his relative, and throwing Brandon Stark out of a window when he was aged ah, seven. But that's for the gods to decide. No, no, I'm, least, I'm fairly sure I'm... trying. I'm f- yeah, no, and 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 his effort is is laudable, and I, you know, it's he's a better man. Like he he is. He's objectively a better man now than he was in a Game of Thrones or even Clash of Kings. Um, and but he's not- another man with great fa- with a great sense of family. 
You know, he's, he's, he's more or less the only one in his family who cares about his brother. He's the only one in he his family. He cares so much about his sister that, you know, it's got a bit weird. He's the only um, one who cares about Tyrion. He, I don't know, I think... I I have a personal issue with the redemption of Jamie Lannister as being a complete arc. He's on a redemption trajectory, and I think that's right. But he does also threaten to trebuchet an unborn or a newborn baby into River Run if they don't surrender yes. River Run while he's on his redemption arc. Right? That's that's true. That is very true. I mean, he's he's still a very pragmatic warrior. Yeah, I like Jamie as a character. I think like his point of view char- uh, his point of view chapters are incredibly fun. Yes. But I don't know. I I I get uncomfortable when I see especially on Reddit people suggesting that he's become a good man or something. I he may well <laughs> he he may well have become a better man, but as Stannis Baratheon, whom I don't like, says one good act doesn't wash out the bad. Nor does oh, the bad absolutely. nor does the bad wash out the good. But Jamie Lannister is the sum of all of those parts. And one of those parts was throwing Bran Stark out of a window. Absolutely. But I, I think I think Jamie is the sort of character who he, he does these things, yes. Uh, but I think he does live with that for the rest of his life. And I, I think how that will eventually culminate. Because you know, as you say, he's still doing absolutely terrible things or suggesting absolutely terrible things mm. um so he's, he's quite clearly a very flawed person, his his, his campaign in the riverlands serves to perpetuate an illegitimate and tyrannical rule yeah for sure you, he, and he knows that, that. For, for, you know, it's his duty um because his actions aren't always that easily explained I mean, killing the king for example good or bad you decide, I suppose. But I essentially see... I don't think Jamie is the hero, but I, I see him having a really interesting arc. And as you say, really fun POV chapters. Yeah. Uh, and he's probably eventually going to die in some quite heroic way where people will, will be torn, as in people who are his enemies will be torn as to remembering him. You know, yeah, the, I think that's... The bad guy he was, or the good guy he was. I think that's true. I think that's. I think that is definitely... True. He's also deviating slightly. He's also so much a victim of his own hubris. If he'd just told Ned when Ned comes riding into the throne room and finds Jamie sitting on the throne, oh, I was, you know, I killed the Mad King. Sorry, that was bad of me. But did you know he was going to blow up the entire city and kill millions of people? Yeah. That's why I killed him. But he doesn't because he decides that Ned wouldn't understand. But well, it's not just pride about coming Ned. before fall, doesn't it? It's... Well, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and of all the people you want walking through those doors at that point in time, I think no, Ned Stark is the last on your list. You're absolutely right. Had it been Robert, for example, rather than Ned, that walks through those doors, I'd made him. You'd have made him a king. The story, well, yeah, the story of Jamie Lannister becomes so different. Indeed. Anyway, anyway, indeed. we're so yet I guess to find a hero. <laughs> We've been going for a long time. We, we need to find a hero. Yeah, we, we are. <laughs> we are getting to a <laughs> to a long old episode here. Um, but I mean, it's a song of ice and fire. It is an epic for a reason. Um, so Jamie's out. What about 
Tyrion. <sighs> Tyrion Targaryen. In oh god, Tyrion the time traveling <laughs> fetus. Um, <laughs> you know that purple eyes and silvery hair. Oh, yeah. It's he doesn't have purple eyes. He's, He's a got dragon rider. He ah uh, oh, shut up. Let me th- let me think this through. Um. Is Tyrion... Shut up and let me talk. <laughs> Essentially, no, please shut up and let me think. <laughs> it's not even talking at this stage. If you'd asked me, if I'd only read up to Clash of Kings, if you'd asked me, I would have said that Tyrion was in with a shout with being the overall hero of Song of Ice and Fire. But I think you have to look at his actions in Feast and dance, I think it is, after he kills... No, not Feast, he's not in Feast, sorry, just dance. After he kills Tywin. And his behaviour on the road in Essos, his treatment of Penny, the other dwarf that he meets, his... And and, and I think when you start to see him on that sort of incredibly incredibly self-destructive and incredibly violent arc, you start to see the seeds of that being sown in Game of Thrones and Clash of Kings. Uh, I have no follow-up to that. (laughs) You've departed uh, reason and rationale there, I think. Okay, all right. Make make your case then before I before I show he's not the hero. Make the case that he is. That's definitely us going the wrong way. Right? He's got more POV chapters than anyone else. Okay, that's literally it. That that's it. Is it? <laughs> that's it. Fucking hell. well. I mean, he kills. He kills the villain. He he's the one who. <laughs> Finally, I think, anyway, will draw an end to this ridiculous storyline in Essos. That's uh, true. And, got a and... bit tiring, and I think he's going to drag Daenerys back to Westeros, and then whatever happens, happens. That 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 will be a heroic endeavor. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's the hero to to just get us out of Essos and into the civilized world. You know, cutting that Gordian knot. Absolutely. Sign me up. <laughs> I think the reason that he's got the most chapters is that George R. R. Martin has said that he's the most fun to write. Yeah, I was just about to say he is very fun, isn't he? And you can, yeah, you can, you can see the fun in in his chapters, and I I enjoy reading Tyrion chapters. But as I say, if you start to look at his actions, so he arms the Mountain Clans in uh, the Mountains of the Moon in the Vale for no reason other, really, than he feels slighted by Lysa Aaron. And that action is going to have tremendous repercussions onto the small folk of the Vale. That's not, Lysa's not going to suffer small because folk. of that. Oh, come on now. Are we really going to talk about the small folk? Yeah, because I think you have Nobody to look cares. at. Oh sh- <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. If you're going to write off eighty percent of the population as being unimportant, I'm not sure where we can go from here. <laughs> <laughs> Except, no, I know exactly where we can go from here, and I'm going to bypass John and Danny entirely and talk about the real hero of A Song of Ice and Fire, Bran Stark. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, go for it. I mean, it's, it's good that you've said it that way because it shows that you genuinely think that John or Danny are the heroes. Um, which no, is I still wrong, th- I, but I, I think you're, still, you're closer to the truth than Brand. I just think but, that uh, this, the case for Brand Stark being the hero is so yeah, compelling we don't need to talk on, about that. Okay. I, I know you've so. been waiting to say this for so long. It's going to be crap, <laughs> but I'm going to hate you for it. But right. I guess that's why I'm here. <laughs> just to be angry. <laughs> this is going to be excellent. Right. So... Bran Stark is our first point of view in A Song of Ice and Fire other than someone who dies in the prologue. It's through Bran Stark's eyes that we see... So he's not the first. Bran Stark is our first living point of view. <laughs> but the, 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 the prologue characters don't count. Oh, oh okay, sure. Sorry, I forgot, I forgot about that. Sorry, if you're allowed to say the small folk don't count, I'm allowed to say... The <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I'll give you that, I'll give you that. <laughs> It's through his eyes that we see the best, I'm going to say, forms of leadership that we see in A Song of Ice and Fire. It is through his eyes... What do you mean by that? His treatment of people lesser than himself at the Harvest Feast in Clash of Kings in particular, but more generally the behaviour of... Large folk, large folk, nobles and small folk at Winterfell in particular. Large folk. Yeah, I had, I was, small folk and whatever the other lot are called. <laughs> so you see it at the harvest feast, right? He tre- he he sends um, choice cuts of meat to Hodor and old Nan, not because it's necessary as it is when he does it with the Walders Frey or anything like that, but because he wants to. Not only that. Well, that, but, there's some foreshadowing there. Brand, not only that, but Bran Stark is the most obvious melding of the magical and political plot lines that for most of the first half of A Song of Ice and Fire are diametrically separated. Right, So you have characters who are inter- intensely steeped in the magical, so Danny is the obvious example there. And then characters who are intensely steeped in the political, like Ned or Rob, right? And Bran, yeah, but you got is the character in there who marries both, probably more so than Bran. Does he though? Right, because he, he's he's the whole well, you know, Renly well, no, aside, but I guess, but but Stannis is one of the first to declare war. He's the he's the rightful heir. Like that is politics one hundred and one, and he he lives that. Sure. But then he gets the red woman from Asai or Asai, yeah, but, or whatever you say it. But I don't and think, it becomes magic and law. But I don't think that Stannis buys into the magic in the same he's a reluctant. Ooh, no, that's that's interesting. That's interesting. That's right. So he, he I'll go for this one, but we should get back to that at some point. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. But he's he's a reluctant participant in religion. You see that in the burning of the seven on Dragonstone that opens the prologue to Clash of Kings. Stanith, no, uh, Davos one in a Clash of Kings, uh, the, the first real chapter, um, and Stanith stands there watching it and sort of participating only as 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 far as he really needs to. I don't think he embraces the magical side of his storyline. Possibly no. ever? No, but uh, we, we don't really know if Bran will either. 
I mean, he talked about being forced into something. But but Bran, Bran this is a, this Bran is a little boy who saw himself as a knight, you know, and now here he is having to sure see and hear and and you know, literally everything. <laughs> um, I, no, I, that... I get what you're saying. You know, he, he's a nice a nice marriage of, of the two sort of. He, he's also he's also steeped in symbolism. Um, so so are other characters, particularly Danny, but more so than anyone else, Bran sort of embodies several uh, classic Arthurian archetypes, particularly that of the Fisher King. Um, there was no way you were stopping me getting that in there, but he is, no, he does, he really does. Yeah, but he really me, does. It's like me saying that Samuel Tarly's a hero because it's obviously Samuel Gamgee from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> no. Which is a stronger argument, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> he's really not. <laughs> he's, really, he's really not Samwise Gamgee more than anything else. If you said that Samuel Tarly like the was... the only fat, fat one that we've put on the list. If you said that Samuel Tarly was the that, hero shaming, because he, he's, he's our perspective and he embodies sort of our need to come to terms with our own fears so as to progress as human beings, then you'd have a case. But you didn't. You just said something stupid. Oh, yeah, okay, Brandon Stark. (laughs) (laughs) See, Brandon, it's interesting that you mentioned earlier that you think Fagon is going to take King's Landing because that's the only way for Brandon the hero to work. No, it's not. It is. Why does Brandon need to take King's Landing? Danny's going to burn it to the ground. Because... He doesn't need to take King's Landing, but the whole—I don't know—a lot, a lot of climax seems to. Well, I mean, it's the Iron Throne, right? Which is by default in King's Landing, and everyone's sure. crying for it. But so it—it it feels like the political end game of the Song of Ice and Fire has to involve King's Landing in some form. Right. So I don't think I can see why you say that. I don't think you're right, and the reason I don't think you're right is that I think that the political endgame and the magical endgame are going to end up intertwined in Bran Stark, right? So I think that the Iron Throne is... No, but it, it, like, it doesn't even... Okay, even if the Iron Throne is gone, Bran has no magical power anywhere outside of the North. That's not true. It's absolutely true. There are, there are, no, there are, he's going to walk into Raven and fly down south. Absolutely. Um, no, but there yeah, are... There's, there's he can have, virtually he, nowhere weirwoods. Weirwood, Michael. That's what that's what we would say. I mean, there's um, one at there's one at Raven Tree, at, at least. Yeah, um, there's one. Sure, he's not going to run seven kingdoms using the odd weird tree, is he? No, but he's going to rule from the Isle of Faces in the God's Eye, <laughs> sitting in a weirwood throne. Okay, we are just making it all up now again, aren't we? Yes. Are you thinking of the right series <laughs> I, here? I, I, I'll concede I have what, no well, evidence What I'll this. give you is, is what they essentially attempted. Well, actually, I'm not going to say that. Uh, what I'll give you is that the brand is indeed going to be the marriage of magic and uh, politics, specifically in the North. Right? And that will conspire to, to help John become who he actually is. I don't know how. I mean, John's dead as well, which doesn't help. Um, <laughs> as you said, death is a... Death is funny, but that's why it's so interesting that he like that there's a lot of magical characters congregating around John. Um, and something's going to give. Okay. And I feel we can't go without mentioning, you know, Azura High, the prince that was promised, etc., etc. Stallion that mounts the world. Whatever you want to call it. <laughs> 
based on that sort of terminology, I think John is your best bet, but I think Bran is going to be the enabler of that. Maybe. I see. I think when John comes back, if John comes back, I think there's a good chance John ceases to be a point of view character. Yeah, we could see it through Bran. We, but I think, which then is still, as we said before, that doesn't necessarily mean that John no, that's is the hero. That's true. That's true. I, I think they're intertwined, the two of them. But then we're coming back to the whole family argument. Maybe I mean, it's just a family. I was but, going to make the case for Sansa very strongly. Um, Sansa again, because, so, because Sansa she's so purely political, right? Like Arya, like Arya is so purely magical, ish. Like neither of them yeah, are one hundred percent. You combine them, and that's obviously their storyline together. Um, it's all mimicked by the the wolves as well. Yeah, yeah. Arya, I think currently at least has has less of a case because she's just doing, for lack of a better way of saying it, weird shit. <laughs> Um, whereas Sansa, yeah, you're right, she's purely political, but she is involved in every gigantic political swing that happens. I mean, she True. arguably causes Ned's death, well, contributes to it. Yes. Um, you know, she, she's there whilst the war breaks out with Rob, which is, which is quite problematic, and it, it influences a lot of Rob's decisions. And probably a lot of Cersei's as well. She gets Joffrey killed. Does she? Yeah. She tells um, uh, the Queen of Thorns that Joffrey is a, is a heinous piece of shit. Oh, no, yeah. So she, do- she does that, yes. I'm not saying that Sansa's doing any of this on purpose, but she is definitely influencing us. And I think her, her, the interesting thing about her story is that she starts doing these things on purpose. Um... You know, she's there when her aunt gets killed, more or less. Yeah. And again, she's she's quite obviously making her way back north when all the heroes are congregating um, mm. to march down south. And this is where it'll be really interesting in the books is, yeah, does King's Landing, as you say, get blown up well before stuff in the north gets worked out? I can't, I is, can't is work winter out the coming? timeline. I mean, winter obviously is coming, but is, is winter going to come with a lot of death? Uh, we don't really know that yet. We don't know what's happening north of the wall. Other than Mance Raider becomes a, a shapeshifter and <laughs> goes off to do his merry thing. Um, yeah, no, we've got no eyes north of the wall. No. So except, I think, I think except Sansa for Bran. could well except be. Bran. Yeah, Bran, so Bran gives us eyes, absolutely. But but I think more and more, I'm believing my own hype now that. Uh, you might be right that John ceases to be a POV character. That might even be true of Sansa and Arya. It might might be the entire gang is just seen through Bran's eyes, and the rest of the story unfolds that way. That would be bizarre. It would be a Bran <laughs> versus Danny type thing, you know? The Starks on the side of ice and Danny on the side of fire. If you want to be really reductionist, yeah. Um, I don't know, but um, yeah, I feel I think- that neither one of us really has much to say on. on, on Danny, I don't know. I think I think Danny is so difficult because the Mad Queen or the Savior of all of humanity. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I think Mad Queen, Mad Queen Danny, as it as it's been called, I think is quite heavily implied throughout sort of Danny's early 
passages. Yeah, but not necessarily in a sort of this is going to happen. And no, she, she, she's she's very um, quantum mechanical at the moment, isn't she? She could be literally anything. <laughs> yeah, she's. I think I think Danny is. I'm trying. I'm struggling to put it into words. She's sort of a study in the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> I think if you look at the things that she tries to accomplish, both on the Dothraki Sea and in Slaver's Bay, she's trying to do the right thing. She's trying to end slavery. She tries to protect uh, the. Lazarine from Drogo's Kalasar, all of this. She tries to save Viserys from his crown of gold. But at every step, she becomes more villainous, I think. The deal that she strikes with Krasnus to get the Unsullied, for example, she strikes, it's just, she's just a bad faith actor. Yeah. There. No. Krasnus is an is an idiot, and and the Astapori of course have it coming because they're slavers who create eunuch slave soldiers, like they're terrible people. Yeah, and the people she's up against are, but that's like, demonstrably of, about as bad as, as bad as it gets, right? But that sort of makes it makes her job too easy. Yeah, she, no, she, I'm fully with you. I'm fully yeah. with you. She she could she could turn out to be the big endgame villain of the piece somehow. Yes, or she could be one of the heroes. It it really is. It's so delicately balanced, um, especially because there's so, that you know she's very likely a bona fide Targaryen. But actually, more more this has to be. I mean, she hatched dragons. Um, I'm not having like I'm, I'm not having any of this. Danny is a fake nonsense. Danny, like no, it, she she she's she's real. Um, it wouldn't it wouldn't serve any purpose for her to be fake. It would just be boring and irritating see and that but that is the key point she has to either in my mind therefore be the end game villain or the end game hero because otherwise we have frankly wasted a lot of our time reading <laughs> all about this shit in essos <laughs> which while interesting is just if it if it leads to nothing and this is something that george R. will do because this is the thing with him right these are epics that sort of you don't really know how they might end um but i think even he's not cruel enough to make us read all that and then just say oh and then she dies in the way or something no i yeah. mean she's clearly <laughs> she's clearly not going to die of dysentery on the dothraki sea um that would that would actually be hilarious I'll it would be that. really funny <laughs> uh gets, but it would be trampled by a by a um, dothraki horde <laughs> It would be really funny, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't have enough narrative impact. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a really tough one, but I, I think yeah, yeah. One of the outstanding questions still in my mind is what is ice and what is fire. It's still very clear. Yeah, the obvious answer is it's it's Starks and and Targaryens, and that brings us on to the last person on our list, John. John. John Snow. Bastard son of Ned Stark. Yeah, he's dead. Dead. Nothing to see here. Will he revive and take up a sword made of dragon steel? 
which may or may not be uh, Lightbringer. Who knows? <sighs> talk about your uh, yeah. Talk about talk about your obvious hero, though, right? I mean, that's that's my of yeah. a song of ice and fire. The the problem is with so I don't want it to be John because it's so obvious, but also like he there's so much like metaphor wrapped up in his being so he is a targaryen in winter uh, assuming r plus l equals j is true which it it just almost certainly is is it it has to be um though there are some other theories out there Yes, and none of them are persuasive. <laughs> um, but there are, there are, and I'll, I'll concede that there are. But like, he's fire in Winterfell. Winter Winterfell has the hot springs. I'm, I'm none of this is my own creation. I've just read other people's writings on it and and absorbed it. But Winterfell has those hot springs running through it, which is sort mm. of like fire running through Winterfell, which is ice, which is a metaphor for John being fire inside ice. Oh, that's neat, yeah. Like, there's just that. loads of stuff like that. Um, so, so, yeah, so, I guess the, the conclusion there is that, that he could be the Song of Ice and Fire, because he... he the, his could be the Song of Ice and Fire. Well, you see what I... I think an elegant way of doing it, and... I guess we'll have to lean a little bit on the TV show here because the what what happens north of the wall, the others, yeah, in the books is such a it's it's impossible to know if that's a big thing. We imagine so. I mean, it's going to be a long winter. Everyone's terrified of the winter that's coming. Yeah. So I do suspect there'll be lots of action. So I think the elegant way of solving this is if Danny is quote unquote the good hero. The Targaryen that we all want back on the throne, <clears throat> and John is the, as you say, he's the Targaryen Stark, who I think will will wage the war against whatever is north of the Wall. Yeah, as a Targaryen Stark, from Dragonback, from Dragonback, and I think he will probably perish as a result. Um. But it'll forge an alliance between the Starks that remain and Danny in some meaningful way. That's probably all way too elegant for. Oh, that's really interesting. So almost, so almost like an inversion of what happens in the show. Yes, I think I think John, because he is a Targaryen and a Stark, will bring those houses together. And yeah. I think if you unite those houses, you've got the Seven Kingdoms. Essentially, yes. Because the Starks carry the North, and probably at this stage the Riverlands and the Vale. Yeah, because Sansa's there in the Vale yeah. doing her thing. The Riverlands are essentially non-existent. The Riverlands are just non Presumably all the Starks are going to just fuck them up. <laughs> um, the phrase, that is. Yeah. Um, the Westerlands, as you said, after Tywin's death, bit of a shambles. And... Just waiting actually, for Tyrion. You know who, who's in the Stormlands at the moment? I guess. Well, I guess. Uh, Young Griff. Oh uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Young Griff has landed and taken the Stormlands. So that that sets up a nice sequel for George R. R. Martin, the um, 
Song of Ice and Fire Part 2 in the Blackfire Rebellion. <laughs> no, Young Griff is not it. getting out of the series alive. <laughs> that's that's my take on it, I think. John that's a, I, I think that's a good take. Hero. It, it, as you say, it's like what the show tried to do, but they, they reversed the spin on it. Yeah, I don't know. I've tried not to lean too heavily on the, the show, but it sort of is confirmed that Bran ends up on the throne. Like, that's that's yeah. one of the things that George Martin told uh, Benioff and Wise. So, like... It ends up is potentially open to interpretation. No, of course, um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing as well, but... And it's... Well, technically, he's always sat down, isn't he? So maybe, it's, maybe it's a metaphorical throne. <laughs> he's just always on the magic loo. And politics. As you, I think Brand does have an important role to play. Just, yeah, I don't know. I, In my mind, I think that was an elegant solution that I came up with on the fly, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stick I, with that from now on. I, 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 think, I think any of John, Danny, and Bran really are in with a show. I think there's too much foreshadowing for Danny destroying King's Landing and essentially going bad for it to probably, be her. Probably, But we've said that King's Landing is, is virtually irrelevant, isn't it? It sort of is. It's only relevant because that's where Aegon landed. Um, it is. And if, there's, if, um, if, if, if whatever happens next marks a new chapter in yeah. the history of Westeros, King's Landing ceases to have that much, much relevance. Bran, Bran might end up on the throne of the North um, and Danny on the throne in a throne in the South. Well, we have seven kingdoms again. It's, it's really yeah. Hopefully, you thought that at some point they'd have just renamed it. <laughs> yeah, that that line from Robert was seven, about seven kings. It's like, well, don't don't make them kings then. Anymore. Just just <laughs> have just have seven regions. Exactly seven seven counties. I'll <laughs> <laughs> do. Shrink them down to size. No, I think I think sadly I can't believe I'm going to say this. I think the best take from this episode was that the heroes are the Stark family as a, as a collective rather than any one person. Um, and I I, I'd agree, like, cause I'd, it's the best I'd, thing that anyone said this episode. I'd like you to know that I feel physically ill. I can, I can actually tell at having it said just that makes it that much greater. <laughs> oh, get out. Uh, very soon, very soon. I mean, we have, rambled on there's uh, a lot to talk uh, about over an hour and, and 10 minutes um i do hope you <laughs> you've enjoyed listening to us um but I, as you say it is it's it, there is a lot to talk about it's a big big yeah. saga we'll need to we'll need to come back to this i think it, not necessarily we'll this take on why danny is not the mad queen um i'd i'd listen to that i'd listen to that that would be interesting. You have to, because I don't see you making the case for it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, on that potential teaser, I think it just remains for us to say thanks for listening to, to this episode of Expertise is Overrated. Uh, as you know by now, uh, there's no doubt we've said some things that were either objectively wrong or downright offensive. Feel free to let us know, rate the podcast, and leave us a comment, or drop us an email at expertiseisoverrated at gmail.com, or tweet us at zeroexpertise. We now also have a website where you can reach us, and that's expertiseisoverrated.podbeam.com. If you're lucky, we might just argue with you in one of our upcoming episodes, uh, as we did at the start of this one. If you're really lucky, we might call you an idiot. <laughs> <laughs>
Now, in our next episode, we're going back to the Dresden Files to try and get to the bottom of immortality, what it is and how it works. So get, get ready for more nonsense. <laughs>